You're listening to Easier, a podcast all about making your life easier. This is episode number 14. I'm Anthony Wagner, and my passion is finding the best, simplest, and yes, easiest ways of getting things done. Each Wednesday, I'll bring you my favorite tips, tricks, and hacks for living a simpler life. This week, it's all about how to read more. And I know a lot of folks try to squeeze in as much reading time as they can, or maybe some folks like me from a few years ago love to read but never found time to do it. This episode is definitely for you. In this week's main idea, we're going to talk about my favorite book reading program called Audible. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's an Amazon company, and it's wonderful. And I'm going to give you a link to sign up. And just as a disclaimer, I will make a small commission off of that, but I am not recommending it because of the commission. I love this tool so much, and I will tell you all about that in a bit. Then we have a quick side note about how to retain more of the things that you read. And finally, this week, I'm introducing a new segment called Bookshelf. In this segment, I'm going to discuss my favorite books that I've read, brief summaries of them, and some key takeaways to maybe get you a little bit interested in those books. And as a quick bonus, I'm going to make this bookshelf available as a download to anyone who wants it, and I will tell you all about that when we get there. Let's get started. Okay, this week we're going to jump right into the main idea for the week, and this is how to read more with Audible. And as I said, I'm going to be giving you a link. Incidentally, that is easiercast.com slash audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E. And if you sign up for a free trial, which I highly recommend, Amazon, the parent company, gives you a free book just to try it and you don't even have to pay. If you sign up for that trial, I will make a small commission. But like I said in the intro, I am not recommending this tool because of the commission. I would recommend it for free. I would wear their branding. I would do whatever because of how much I am in love with this tool. I do so much more reading now because I discovered this tool. A friend of mine recommended it to me. I tried it once and have been hooked ever since. I used to read zero books a year. I would love, I love to read and I would think about it all the time. I used to read zero books a year and I've gone from that to reading 30 to 40, depending on the year, 20 to 30 to 40 books every single year. And that is just, it's been incredible. So let's talk a little bit about how it works. And then I'm going to switch into telling you about why I actually pay a little bit more, some tips about when you can find time to listen. Uh, some tips for picking some great books. And then I, the Audible actually gives you stats that you can look at, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my stats. So first, how does it work? This service is a monthly subscription, and if you sign up for the trial, you do get one book for free that you can keep whether or not you pay for the service. And it starts at $14.95 a month, and you get what they call a credit for that. And credits can be applied, I believe, to any book in the library. And Audible, because it's an Amazon company, has everything. I have only been stumped out of getting an audiobook a couple of times since I signed up for this service. This service has almost every book, and the vast majority of them are books that are read by the authors, which is awesome. So the nice thing about Audible is that books are yours to keep even if you cancel your membership. The fee that you pay, the credit that you get, and then the book that you get with that credit is yours. It's not like a Netflix-type subscription or a Hulu-type subscription that as soon as you stop paying, you've lost access and you can't get to it. I've seen ads for other 
audiobook companies that say millions of books and you can access as many as you want whenever you want. Well, that's great, but how often do you find yourself switching back and forth between 10 or 20 different books? Usually, most people will read at least a large portion of a single book before moving on to the next one. And I find that the ability to keep those books as opposed to losing access if you stop paying, much more useful. It's like buying a book and putting it on a bookshelf. You've got a library within Audible, and you can keep listening even if you stopped paying for the ones that you've already purchased. So I really love that model, and I don't really support the other models of other companies that do it. But you know, if you found success and you use those, please let me know. I'd love to hear. You can leave a comment at easiercast.com slash 14. Scroll all the way to the bottom. The comments are there. Or email me at podcast at easiercast.com and let me know. I would love to get another perspective. So a little bit more on how it works. You can pay for books out of your own pocket if you run out of credits or if you don't want to buy that particular book. And books typically are given a pretty deep discount of, you know, 20, 30 something percent when you buy them out of pocket as opposed to just buying the audiobook on Amazon without Audible. And I find that every so often I will purchase a book if it's cheaper than what the credit cost. Most times the credits are cheaper than the book. $14.95 is cheaper than most books on Amazon or on Audible. So I'll use my credits there. But if it's cheaper, if it's a $5 book, I'm not going to use a $15 credit on that book. And so I'll just pay for it out of pocket. And they work the same way. You buy it and it's yours to keep. But what I found actually is that I was doing research for a blog post I wrote a long time ago, which is nowhere to be found at this point, but I was doing research and I discovered when I did a little bit of math that I was actually spending more each month by having to use a credit and then buy another book. I was reading so much that I was going through about two books a month and I was spending you know, $15 on the credit, on the subscription, and then I was buying another book outright, which was anywhere from $15 more to even $20, $30, depending on the book. And so what I discovered is that Audible actually offers a platinum level membership where you can get two books a month, you get two credits, and the price is $22.95. And I found that that actually saved me money because I was buying two. So I had an extra credit to use and two books certainly lasted the whole month. A lot of books they, the length is listed by the amount of time it takes to listen to the book. And a lot of books are anywhere from six to nine hours or so. That's the average. If you read something like Harry Potter, they're 15, 20 hours to read. If you read something shorter, they're three, four hours to read. But the average for a regular kind of book that you'd, that you'd think would be two, 300 pages is six to nine hours, I would say. And so that certainly lasts. And I'll tell you why where I read them, why that lasts for a month. And I found that this platinum level membership actually saved me money. And I will tell you, they do not really publicize that very much. You 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 have to actually go in and look for it. So if you want that membership, if you think you're going to read or you know you'll read more than one book a month, it might be worth paying the extra $7 a month to get two credits. I know that it's definitely been great for me. At this point, I've kind of slowed down my reading because I'm listening to podcasts now too. And so they kind of compete for time. I have a stock of credits to use. So anytime I want a book, I can just go and grab it. It doesn't matter. I don't have to wait until the next month because I have this kind of backlog of credits. So that's really nice. I like having that flexibility. So when do I listen to these books? Well, it's anytime you can do a task or do something that's a little more mindless, or let me say it a better way, that doesn't require as much focus as some things. So I would not listen to an audiobook while writing for this podcast or if you're in school doing an assignment, things like that. That's not a great time because your primary focus can't be on the book. 
But times that work really well is when you're doing things that don't require intense focus. Things like when you're cleaning. Cleaning is an excellent place. Put in headphones and listen to a book and it just makes the time go by so much faster. I remember cleaning my entire apartment while listening to a book and it felt like I had just flown through all the tasks because I was focused on the book. The cleaning doesn't require as much intense focus. Another time, some people find that they're able to do this. They can listen to podcasts or they can listen to audiobooks while they're working out. For me, I can't really do that. I find that I have to, when I'm working out, if I am, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not currently, but when I was working out, I couldn't listen to something that required my focus because I felt like it drained my energy way too fast. I was having to focus on the, the workout that I was doing and the, the book just either went into the, the background or I felt way more tired. So some folks that works and that's awesome. If that works for you, go for it. It didn't work so well for me. Another place that I listen is when I'm in the shower. I actually have a waterproof speaker that I can bring into the shower with me. Or if you have, I have a Google Home that sits in my bathroom and I'll put it on there sometimes. However you want to do it, even if you just put it on your phone and turn the volume up, listening in the shower is a great place because it's not something that requires a lot of attention. If you're like me, your shower routine is kind of just a habit and you just go. And so I find that I can listen to audiobooks there. The last place, and this is where I do probably 80% of my reading is my commute. And I still call it reading, even though it's an audiobook, I'll still say reading. So don't get that confused. But my commute is the majority of my time. So my commute in the morning varies from really, I would say 15, but it's actually like 18 minutes because I've been doing it for so long. It's like 18 minutes to 23 minutes to 25 minutes, depending on traffic. So let's just round it off and say 20 minutes each way every day. And so that means 40 minutes. If I listen five days a week, because I work Monday through Friday, and I do 40 minutes a day, that's 40 times five, which is 200 minutes. So I'm getting three and a half almost hours of reading done just by being in the car doing what I would do anyway. And when you think the books are, say, eight hours, it takes you two and a half weeks to get through a book, which is not bad. And you can power through so many books if you do that every day. Now, like I said, I'm listening to podcasts too, and sometimes I want to catch up on the news, so I listen to NPR in the car. I listen to mostly talk in my car. I don't listen to music very often. Sometimes I feel like it, and I will. But for the most part, I'm listening to some kind of information. I'm learning or getting caught up on current events in the car. So I do split my time, but when I'm really engaged in a book, I find that I will power through it, and every commute will be that. So if you're doing three hours a week just in the car, you can get through a lot of books. And that's how I climbed from zero books a year to that first year. I think I read 30 in just a year. I read 30 books. That's a lot of books. So that is the most productive time for me is the commute. Okay, so I have a couple of tips for picking some good books and and one thing that I want to caution you about. So I typically only read a book if it has a 4.5 star rating. I know that seems a little bit fussy, but I found that the books that are rated a little bit lower tend to have some things about them that I'm not crazy about. Now, when you rate a book on Audible, it gives you the opportunity to give an overall score, to give a score for the performance, the actual narration, and a score for the story. And then it averages that and presents the review to the listeners. I find that ones that are lower than that, just turn me off in general. I actually, for most purchases, if they've got lower than a 4.5 star rating, I really scrutinize them heavily and I don't buy many products or services that are rated lower than that. I know that seems a little high, but I tend to have great success when they're rated that highly. So I typically only read books that have a 4.5 star rating and unless I absolutely love the book, 
those types of books will not make it onto my bookshelf. Anything that has lower than a 4.5 star, you won't see on my bookshelf when we get to that. Now, one thing I do avoid, I will look at the rating, but I do not typically read the reviews. Unless I'm looking for more information about what the book is about, I avoid the reviews. And the reason is, some people are pretty fussy about the narration and they have lots of comments on how the person reads. And I found that if I read the reviews and someone says something about the narration, that's all I listen for when I go to listen to my book. And most of the time, if I had never read that review, I found that I don't even notice it when I'm listening. So I try not to bias myself by by reading those reviews and then listening. I try to just look at the rating, read the summary. If I like it, then I'll listen. And I just skip the reviews altogether. So that's a tip there because sometimes people say things that bias you in not a good way and you might miss out on a book that you would have otherwise loved. I have listened to books after reading reviews and found that I disagreed with what they said. It was just that particular person's preference. So I would caution against reading the reviews. Just look at the rating. If you do want to get a sample, Audible is great for that because they offer a sample right on the page where you can buy the book. And it's usually, you know, 10 minutes or so that you can listen to so you can get a feel for how the narration sounds and how the author or whoever the narrator is reading to decide if that's going to bother you or not. And just as a tip, Audible actually offers the feature to speed up or slow down the narration. You can do it at, you know, the standard level, the standard pace, or you can do it at 1.5 time, two times the speed, things like that. You can slow it down too. So if you find that a reader is going a little too fast, which I've never found to be the case, but sometimes they go a little too slow, you can just tick that speed up a little bit and it saves that setting so you will be able to listen to the book at a little bit quicker pace. So as I said a little bit ago, Audible actually offers some stats, and they're kind of fun. When my friend Colleen, who recommended this to me, said that they offered badges, I was like, I don't really care. What am I going to use? What am I going to do with that? And then I started doing it, and I was like, oh, I kind of like collecting these badges. They're, They're totally pointless. They are just there. They light up when you've done whatever the thing is. So those are there for you. And then they also offer some stats for how much you've read. And as a data-driven person, these are awesome to me. I love looking at them. So I pulled the stats as of the recording of this podcast, and I thought I would share them with you. So the first stat is that since I started my membership, I believe it was October, it was the end of the year in 2015. And right now it's August of 2018. So it's a little bit shy of three years. I have read, just using Audible, a total of 22 days, 4 hours, and 41 minutes, which comes out to approximately 532 hours of reading. In audible language, that means that I have just passed the master level of reading. It's got a few levels that as you read for more hours, you go up. That is the highest level. I just passed it 32 hours ago. I think it's at 500. I have in my library 79 titles, and I have not completed every single one of those, but I've listened to almost all of them. And like I said, I've been a member of Audible since late 2015. This service is absolutely wonderful. I would not have continued to pay for it for three years, monthly, every single month, if I didn't love it. It is 100% worth the cost, and it's just a wonderful service. So if you find that you would like to try this service, you can get a free audiobook. Anyone who signs up for a trial who hasn't been a member before gets a free book. And if you'd like to support this podcast, what I would ask that you do is go to easiercast.com slash audible, and that will actually take you right to the page where you can sign up for a trial. It's not on my website, but it will take you to the Amazon Audible page, and you can sign up for a trial. I will get a small commission. I would actually tell you what the commission was, but I don't remember. 
um, because I don't want you to think that I'm doing this for that. That would be a great way to support this podcast, and I would really appreciate if you did use that link. But if you wanted to skip it, you could just go to audible.com and sign up for a trial there, and that would be totally fine with me. Because if you start using the service, this podcast will have served its purpose in making your life easier. Trust me, you will love it. Okay, this week we have a quick side note, and this is something I discovered kind of after I started listening to audiobooks, is that I would listen and I would get a lot out of them while I was in the book itself, while I was listening to that book, but then I wouldn't necessarily retain that much, especially because if you're kind of overlapping tasks, some of your focus is diverted to whatever task you're doing. So some of your focus is on cleaning or on driving, and you are switching back and forth really quick as you're listening, and so I found that while I was doing this, I wasn't getting as much long-term information out of the books. I would keep really the highest point information, and then that was about it. So what I started doing recently is you really have to make a conscious choice to do this, but if you want to retain more, if you want to learn more, on weekends, I have been making time, even if it's just one day a week, but I have been making time to get the physical book, and I'll either go to the library and check it out, or I'll buy it. This is only for books that I really love and want to study more, and I'll actually sit and review what I've read. When I say read, I mean listen, but I'll sit with the physical book, and I'll flip through, and then I'll take a few notes, and those things I find stick in my mind so much better because I've already kind of been primed with the book, and it doesn't even matter how long ago you've read it because one of the books that I'm going to put on my bookshelf today, I read a long time ago. And as I started going back through it, I recalled all that information, but I was able to retain it and I took notes. So now I can reference it. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. You can just skim it or even go through the table of contents and find the chapters that are the most interesting to you. But if you're looking to retain the information, I do almost 100% nonfiction reading, except for a couple of exceptions. If you're looking to retain information, I find audiobooks aren't great, but doing this, actually going back and listening or reading again and taking notes has really helped. And just as a a side note to the side note, I read a book before called Make It Stick, and it was about education and keeping information in your head. And this is one where this one piece of information that I'm about to share is the thing that stuck from the whole book when I read it the first time, is that interleaved learning helps information stick. So in other words, an example from the book that I can recall, and it's not perfect because it's been a long time, but the author talked about someone practicing for a particular sport and how when the coach had that person focus on one aspect and hammer that home over and over and over again and then move to the next and hammer that one home over and over and over again versus someone who practiced one skill for a few reps, then moved to the next and the next and the next, and then eventually came back and did that in a circle. The latter, the person who moved on and came back, did much better with retaining information than someone who hammered one skill over and over because the brain has left that information and you've kind of forgotten it a little bit and you have to come back and recall it. That helps with keeping the information in your head. So this strategy falls right into that where you've read the book and then you come back later and you start taking some notes. It helps you to have to recall that information and it helps it stick. So if you're looking to retain information, do this. Even if you just make time for a half hour where you pick one chapter and go through it real quick and outline it, that will help you retain that information so much more effectively. Mm 
Okay, last up, we're going to get to this bookshelf. This is a new segment that I'm introducing, and I'm really excited about it. The first thing I will say is that I'm putting together a digital download for you where you can go to my website, drop in your name and email. It's easiercast.com slash bookshelf. And I will email you with the current version of the bookshelf. And then anytime I update it, you'll get an email from me with that information. And the only other email you'll get is just a notification when this podcast comes out. So don't think you're going to get spammed. And I'm not going to update this every week. So you'll get one bookshelf email periodically, maybe once every month or two, whatever it is. And then you'll get once a week emails. And you can unsubscribe at any time if you don't want the emails. But if you want this bookshelf, anytime I make a recommendation, this is the place to get it. And I will also, of course, announce the books on the podcast. So I have two books for you today. One is called Captivate and one is called Resilient. Captivate is by a woman named Vanessa Van Edwards and Resilient is by a a, a gentleman by the name of Rick Hansen. And I'm going to, for each book, I'm going to read you the actual summary and then I'm going to talk through a couple of key takeaways from that book just to demonstrate the information that stuck the most for me. And of course, those will be on my bookshelf and you can go to either the bookshelf or for each episode, easiercast.com slash that episode's number. In this case, it's 14 to see that and buy that book yourself. So first, we're going to talk about Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. As a human behavior hacker, Vanessa Van Edwards created a research lab to study the hidden forces that drive us, and she's cracked the code. In Captivate, she shares shortcuts, systems, and secrets for taking charge of your interactions at work, at home, and in any social situation. These aren't the people skills you learned in school. This is the first comprehensive, science-backed, real-life manual on how to captivate anyone, and a completely new approach to building connections. Just like knowing the formula to use in a chemistry lab or the right programming language to build an app, Captivate provides simple ways to solve people problems. You'll learn, for example, how to work a room. Every party, networking event, and social situation has a predictable map. Discover the sweet spot for making the most connections. Or how to read faces. It's easier than you think to speed read facial expressions and use them to predict people's emotions. Or how to talk to anyone. Every conversation can be memorable once you learn how certain words generate the pleasure hormone dopamine in listeners. So I hope that that summary has piqued your interest. I know it certainly did mine. I absolutely love this book. It is very practical, it is very actionable, and it is very simple. So I have three key takeaways from this book that I recalled instantly. So those are the key takeaways I'm going to share with you, the ones that I could bring to memory the easiest. Each time I share a book, that's how I'm going to do it. And trust me, there is a whole host more information in the book. This is just kind of a little teaser. So the first takeaway that I recalled most readily was how to make a good first impression. And Van Edwards, the author, emphasizes that people cement their first impression almost instantly with people. And you can read more about the science behind that in the book. But she recommends that the way you approach someone is critical. People judge you without even talking to you just by the way that you're standing. And it's science back. So she's not just deriving this out of thin air. So she recommends a posture to carry yourself called the launch stance. And at first she talked about this kind of superhero pose that helps to drive people's confidence where you stand 
basically like Superman with your hands or fists on your hip and real upright with your chest puffed out. And she said, of course, that would be a little ridiculous to do in everyday situations. People who are about to speak at TED Talks, for instance, will do this backstage to kind of rev themselves up. But to behave that way in real life outside of a situation like that might make you look a little silly. So she recommends kind of a slimmed down version of this that she calls the launch stance. And there are a few steps. They're pretty straightforward. The first thing she says is that you should always keep your hands visible. And she says that people connect with people better when they can see their hands because it helps to lower the subconscious idea that this person might be a threat. When you can see someone's hands, you better understand their intentions. So that's the first thing is keep your hands visible. And then the next are pretty obvious is to keep your head up and forward to keep your shoulders and chest back and down. So basically you're standing up tall. You're standing, I'm doing it as I'm sitting here, like that's going to make any difference, but you stand up tall and you keep your hands visible. And then the final thing is to make eye contact. And she uses a tip to help people remember to do this. Notice the other person's eye color. And that helps you to focus on their eyes and to build that eye contact right up front. I will say that I haven't really done that last one very much, but the other three, absolutely. I actually walk through the mall and I have a tendency to slouch. And when I'm walking in public, I will consciously make the effort to bring my shoulders back, to bring my head up and to make sure my hands stay visible, not in my pockets, not on my phone. So that's the first thing is using the launch stance to help you make a better first impression. Then she covers what she calls conversation sparkers, not starters, but sparkers. And she says that typical conversation starters really fall flat. From a study that she did, they did, I think, what she called like a speed dating thing where they the people all went around and used various kind of canned conversation starters. And the one, and then at the end, they rated all of the, the quality of those conversations and how are you rated super low? Nobody really cares. It's, it's kind of just a habit. And have you ever had the situation? I know I have where someone will say, Hey, how are you? And you don't even think about it. You just go fine and you just move on. And something I've noticed is that I do an experiment every so often. Somebody will say, Hey, how are you? And you'll say, fine. Thanks. How about you? And that response is so habitual that people will automatically go good. And I find that sometimes I'll just take out the question in response and just go, fine, thanks. And people will habitually go, good. And it's like, I didn't ask you anything. So I do that occasionally. And it's funny how ingrained that is. So people say that that is a really bland conversation starter way to get a conversation to fall flat. So she recommends a few conversation sparkers and there's a bunch in there, but the ones that stand out to me are these two. The first one is what's the highlight of your day or week? And that is a really different question. It's very simple and it gets someone thinking a little bit more. And then another one I'll try is, are you working on anything exciting lately? Rather than saying, well, how's work or where do you work? Say, have you been working on anything exciting lately? And the thing I love about this is if someone is between jobs That gives them the ability to say, yeah, I'm job hunting rather than saying, no, I don't currently have a job. It allows them to turn that into a positive. So you don't get yourself into an awkward situation inadvertently. Then this sparker she uses, and I'm not a huge fan of this one because I find that it's too much of a tongue twister. But if it works for you, by all means, this seems to be her favorite. And in her profession, I think it would be applicable for most folks. I'm not sure. But this one is, are you working on any personal passion projects? And I do not find that that rolls off the tongue easily at all. I have to think about it when I'm saying it. And it's just too much of a tongue twister. So if you maybe rephrase it or however you want to use it, but this is one she really likes, I don't really care for. The other two, what's the highlight of your day or what's the highlight of your week work really well 
Actually, just as a quick side note on that, I will use what's the highlight of your day or what's been the highlight of your day at the end of the day. Obviously, that's not a great question to ask if it's nine in the morning. (laughs) Your day hasn't happened yet. So I will change it to what's been the highlight of your week so far. Or if it's Monday, what was the highlight of last week? Something like that. But obviously, you don't want to put yourself in a situation that it doesn't make sense. Then the other one to remember is working on anything exciting lately. That one I find probably to be the easiest. And then the last takeaway I'm going to share is how to end a conversation, especially with someone new. Sometimes you find that you're in a situation where you want to move on. You want to talk to someone else. You have something else to do. But ending the conversation is really awkward. Just out of nowhere, you go, oh, got to go. So she recommends that you shift the focus of the conversation to the future and then use that to tail the conversation. Basically, what she says is while you're talking to someone, when it's opportune and you're ready to go, ask, what are you up to this weekend? And that is a way to shift the focus to the future. And then you use that to finish with, well, I hope you have a great time doing whatever it is you're going to do this weekend. Thanks so much for chatting with me. And you shake their hand. And that is a really seamless transition out of a conversation. So those three tips from Captivate, use the launch stance to make a good first impression, use those conversation sparkers, and end the conversation by shifting the focus to the future. And last up, let's talk about resilient. And I left the description out of this purposefully because I really wanted you to listen to it in the summary. But this is a book that I haven't even finished yet. It's a brand new book. It was just released in March of this year. I believe the copyright in the cover says April, but the date on Amazon says March 27, 2018. This is a brand new book. And it is one of the most phenomenal books I've ever read. And I haven't even finished it yet. And I'm ready to recommend it on this podcast during my first bookshelf ever. So let me quickly read the summary for you, and then I will tell you the three key takeaways that I've taken away from it so far. I haven't even finished. These days, it's hard to count on the world outside, so it's vital to grow strengths inside like grit, gratitude, and compassion, the key to resilience and to lasting well-being in a changing world. True resilience is much more than enduring terrible conditions. We need resilience every day to raise a family, work at a job, cope with stress, deal with health problems, navigate issues with others, heal from old pain, and simply keep on going. With his trademark blend of neuroscience, mindfulness, and positive psychology, New York Times best-selling author Dr. Rick Hansen shows you how to develop 12 vital inner strengths hardwired into your own nervous system. Then, no matter what life throws at you, you'll be able to feel less stressed, pursue opportunities with confidence, and stay calm and centered in the face of adversity. This practical guide is full of concrete suggestions, experiential practices, personal examples, and insights into the brain. It includes effective ways to interact with others and to repair and deepen important relationships. Warm, encouraging, and down-to-earth, Dr. Hansen's step-by-step approach is grounded in the science of positive neuroplasticity. He explains how to overcome the brain's negativity bias, release painful thoughts and feelings, and replace them with self-compassion, self-worth, joy, and inner peace. So that sounds like a lot of typical self-help book information, right? You're going to read it, and then it's not really going to be very actionable. I found that from some books that I've read. I've read a lot of nonfiction books kind of in this genre. I like this genre a lot, and that's why I'm recording a podcast that also kind of falls into the genre. And I find that A lot of books have a lot of great theories, but not a lot of great practical information that you can use. 
oh man, does this book fall outside of that box? Every chapter so far has been a phenomenal insight into the brain and into things that you can do to help improve your day-to-day being. I'm not even finished and I feel like my life is shifting in a positive direction. And I'm not just saying this to, to recommend a book or to have something to talk about on this podcast. I'm going to recommend this book basically to anyone I speak to. It is so phenomenal that I am wishing that I had this back when I was younger. If I could have developed these things starting back in high school or earlier, probably wouldn't have been as receptive to it then. But if I had had it, I would be like this rock now. So I have made the conscious choice to work on being more peaceful, joyful, patient, and kind. And I write that goal every single day. And this book has moved me in that direction at like light speed. So let me tell you about a a couple of key takeaways just to give you an example as to what the author talks about and it'll help you to understand why you should read this book. And again, just as a reminder, I know I've said it a few times, I haven't finished it yet. So there might even be more useful insights that would have taken the place of these, but these are so great, I wanted to share these with you. So this first one's going to sound kind of a little new agey maybe, but the metaphor is very, very helpful. And the metaphor here is to think of the mind like a garden. Actually, I think that's technically a simile, my English teacher background coming out. But think of the mind like a garden. You can do three things with a garden. The first is to observe it. The second is to pull weeds from it. And the third is to plant flowers. And again, I know it sounds new agey here, but just hang with me here. The author says that there are three things that you can do in your mind to help build resilience. And the first is to observe, to let whatever happened be. It's part of a mindfulness technique, and he goes a lot into that, but to observe the thing kind of from the outside perspective, just let it be. Whatever happened, it exists, and it is. So that's the first thing you can do. Observe the garden. The second is to pull weeds, and that means to help deal with negative things that have happened. If you're pulling weeds out of a garden, it's like pulling out those negative thoughts. And he doesn't just say this, right? A lot of self-help books will stop there and say, well, you should pull weeds from the garden of your mind. No, he tells you how, and I will get to that in a second. The third thing is to plant flowers, and that's to let in the positivity that's happening around you. So that's kind of a metaphor which sets up the next couple of things. And the next thing that is critical to know is this little rhyme that he used in explaining things about how learning happens. And these first two things, I'll get to how they work in a second. But he explains how learning happens and he uses this little rhyme, neurons that fire together, wire together. And that was like mind-blowing, helpful information. Everything that you learn, your brain retains it by basically wiring together those neurons. And I'm pulling from another book. I believe this was from a habit book, that the first book that I read by Charles Duhigg. And he explains, and I think another one um, called The Sweet Spot by Christine Carter. I've talked about that book before, that habits are formed when you basically repeated something over and over. Your brain does something called myelinating it. And forgive me if I've gotten this wrong, but it's been a long time. I'm pretty sure that that's accurate though. And This process basically lubricates that channel in your brain and makes it much easier to repeat. Basically, it becomes a habit. And you learn by firing those neurons together. Okay, so let's take those two things, the mind being like a garden to let be, let go, and let in, and the fact that you learn by repeating things and having those neurons wire together. And he uses this technique to deliberately enhance and absorb 
pleasant, positive experiences to hardwire them into your brain. Basically, it means that you can deliberately learn to be happier. That sounds kind of crazy, but I've been doing this and the steps he uses are called HEAL, H-E-A-L, which I'm going to cover in just a second. I've been doing this and I find that I'm able to retain much more of a sense of peace and as things that are positive happen, I'm specifically focusing on them and helping my brain to flag them. And it really works. I find that I'm now, when I'm in a stressful situation, these things that I really love or these pleasant experiences that I have come back in my head and they help to bring my agitation down. So the HEAL steps, H-E-A-L. H stands for have a positive experience. And he emphasizes that you can have one that's already happening or you can deliberately create one. Either one works. The E stands for enrich it. Basically, make it longer, make it deeper, however you have to do it. And he goes into steps as to how to do that. He doesn't just say enrich it and leave it at that. He goes into steps there. The third one is to absorb it, meaning deliberately take that experience in and make it part of yourself. And then the fourth is to link it. This one is an optional step, but this is a step that he uses. He says that if you are with this positive experience in your brain, in your mind, if you're if you stay with this positive thing, you can recall a negative thing that's in that realm and use the positive thing to heal that negative experience. That's the pulling weeds part of the let be, let go, let in of the garden. I'm not doing the perfect job of explaining this because I've, like I said, I haven't finished this book, but these steps, I've been doing this. So I'll be sitting up in the morning and I have my cup of coffee and I love being up when it's dark outside. And this is just something that really brings me a lot of pleasure. Now what I've been doing is I've been sitting there and deliberately enjoying it. Sitting there saying, wow, this is great. And just enjoying it. Something I absolutely love is watching the steam rise off of a cup of coffee. And so I'll sit there and watch the steam for 20, 30 seconds. And it just brings me so much joy. And now that image of being up in the morning in my recliner, working or whatever, and watching the steam rise up off my coffee helps to bring down my anxiety or my anger or frustration or whatever. I just, I'm instantly more calm. I know this sounds maybe a little new agey, but trust me, it's not. It works and it's grounded in science. And this book is so pleasant to read because it's like sitting with this calming person. His voice is so relaxing, not in like a a cheesy way, but just it's wonderful. So if you read nothing else from this bookshelf so far, there's two things. (laughs) Either one is great. I would start with this one. This book is phenomenal. It's brand new. The science is fresh. The information is great. It's practical. 100% grab this book. I don't even care how you get it. If you go to a bookstore and buy it off the shelf, if you go to a library, check it out. If you use Audible to listen to it or you buy it on Amazon or any other retailer, however you get this book into your hands, whether or not it earns me a commission, do it. I would cough up the commission to put this book in more people's hands. So I hope that you enjoyed this new segment, Bookshelf. I'm going to do this with a lot of books. As I said, I've got 79 titles in my library. So that's a lot of reading and then I'm not stopping. So I will have lots of recommendations for you with insights like these. So I hope you enjoy this and you grab that digital download. You can keep that file and just refer to it as you need a new book. Go back there and click the link in it and it'll make your life super easy. (music) 
And that's it for episode number 14 of Easier. Remember to sign up for Audible. Head over to easiercast.com slash audible. That will redirect you right to the page that you need to sign up for your free trial. I will earn a commission this way. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would use that to support this podcast, but I am totally okay if you just head to audible.com and grab it there if you don't feel like contributing. You don't pay any extra, you get a free trial and a free book regardless of whether you sign up. So I hope you'll consider using my link, easiercast.com slash audible to help me out and to start with an amazing service that I would recommend regardless of that commission. Also remember to make some time to go back and review the books that you've read if you listen with Audible to help you retain more information. And finally, grab my bookshelf. It's easiercast.com slash bookshelf to grab that digital download. It's free and it will have all of my recommendations on an ongoing basis. So far, I've got Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards and Resilient by Dr. Rick Hansen on there. 100% listen to one of those. Start with Resilient if you are unsure where to start. Do you have any tips, tricks, or hacks for making life easier? If you do, please email them to me at podcast at easiercast.com or by leaving a comment at easiercast.com slash 14. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of that page and drop your comment there. Also, that's where you can find the full show notes for this episode. If I love your idea, I will be sure to feature it in a future episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Until next week, here's to an easier life. Bye for now.